Romans wrote. I'm so glad they got that on video for you to see how mean Matt is to me. What they did cut is it was about a half mile run for me to get to that truck. Yeah, he's mean. He's mean. <laughs> hey, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, we, we got to celebrate the risen one last week. Here's the secret. We do it every week. <laughs> the, the Easter informs us, right? Like Jesus is risen and he is risen indeed. And we celebrate that. We had some baptisms last week. Uh, let's give the Lord a praise offering for that. Like, let's, let's not forget. That was cool. There were some people who just said, I, I want to be about Jesus' business. I want to follow him with my whole heart, and I'm in. And uh, what a great representation of dying to sin and death and alive in Christ. Just a beautiful picture. So uh, glad you're here. What I'd like you to do is in your mind's eye, if you could imagine this, that time is represented with hills and valleys. And some of those hills are really tall hills, and some of those valleys are really low valleys. And from some of those uh, valleys, all you can see is the hill in front of you. And from other hilltops, you can see beyond the hill in front of you there. From our unique vantage point, this time in history, I believe this to be true, that we can see the end from where we're standing. Now, I don't know how many valleys and hills there are between us and the end, or if there are any hills and valleys between us, but I think we can see the end from here. Uniquely, the prophets in days past stood on a hill where they could see even more clearly and informed us through the Word of God about what that looks like and about what that means. And so here we are today having to ask ourselves some very difficult questions and trying to understand the world around us in relationship to the end that perhaps we can see better than we've ever been able to see. Fulfillment of scriptures that are opening up in front of us. And what does that mean for us? And what does that mean to us? And so those are some of the things that we're wrestling with in these days. The United States has been informed by scripture. I don't mean to say that we've always followed it. I don't mean to say that, uh, it, it, that we are an awesome Christian nation. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is that the scriptures have informed our culture. So here's an example. Anybody ever use this phrase? Oh, they're a doubting Thomas. Anybody ever use that? Let me see some hands. Come on, help me out. Otherwise, there are three of you. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Uh, you're familiar with that phrase, and the reason you are is because the Scripture speaks of this disciple who, after the resurrection, uh, didn't believe that Jesus rose from the grave and said, hey, I need, to feel, I need to see him, I need to touch his wounds for me to believe it. I need more information. And so they, we use the phrase doubting Thomas whenever we're talking about somebody who just needs more information even when the truth is in front of them. And our culture has been informed by the scriptures. In fact, we could even say that many of our churches grew because of this influence. It was culturally acceptable to be a Christian, and so many churches were relatively full because of that. And we still use phrases like uh, the Bible Belt when we refer to things down south because a part of the culture is to be in attendance in church. That can be a good thing. 
it can also be a bad thing. One of the bad things that can happen to a cultural Christianity is that we become spectators and not participants in Christianity. And so, COVID happened. I don't know if you've heard about that, but uh, we had this thing called COVID, and it shut everything down. And we got to watch church online, and it was pretty convenient. And, and you got to wear your pajamas and watch church, and then in your pajamas go to Walmart afterwards. You know how it works. <laughs> but what happened is this, that many people never, never came back from COVID, that, that just viewing online was enough. That's not to say that uh, everybody who has not come back is, is just a spectator. That's not what I mean, but many people are. And it was kind of like, you know, that, that was fine to watch online. It was great online, and that's good enough for me. But what we miss in that setting is the experiential uh, participation that we're called to in Christianity to serve one another, to care for one another, to worship together, to experience God individually and together collectively. And so we live in a time that many of you, you're here because, one, God called you to be here and you responded to him in faith. And, and secondly, you're here because there's a genuine hunger. Ah, I, want, I want something more. I'm interested in these things of God, and intuitively, I recognize that, that perhaps the end, I can see it in a way that I haven't in the past, and I'm drawn to it, and I don't know what it means, and I'm kind of scared, but I'm interested, and I want to know God more, and I want to understand his word, and I want to respond in faith. I want him to be a part of my life, and you're here because of that. I believe that's true. And so with that in mind, I, I, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to engage today to not just be a spectator, but to be a participant. And not just here during this time, but throughout the week. And so with that in mind, would you join me as we pray before we dig into Romans 5. Lord, we do love you. And we thank you. We praise you, Lord, because you are good. And Almighty God, as we come together and look at your word, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. And that, that Lord, we, we would no longer compartmentalize our walk with you or our understanding of you. That it wouldn't just be intellectual, but that it would be an experience that we have with you and in you and a response to you. Lord, I ask that in a very real way today, you would help us to see any any walls that we've built in these compartments, any ways that we have stuffed you in an area of our lives. Lord, help us to see your promises in your word. Help us to see your plan in your word and help us, Lord, to live it out in a way that honors and glorifies you. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, that very issue is brought in front of us today. And that's that everything is really found in God, that nothing good exists outside of God. I like the way that C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says it this way. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There's no such thing. Let me read it one more time. 
God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. And the reality is that for many of us, we've tried to find happiness and we've tried to find peace in things and stuff. And for a moment, it felt a lot like happiness and it felt a lot like peace, but it, it wasn't really that. It, it was limited. It was short term. But there's something eternal and something that we can, that we can have even right now. And so we have to ask that question, is what is peace? What does that look like? Is it the absence of conflict? And the answer is a resounding no. It is not the absence of conflict. In fact, despite conflict, we can experience peace because peace is whole person. It's body, mind, and soul. It's complete and it's order. Peace. Not the absence of conflict, but despite the conflict, we can have peace and it's eternal. And it starts with a walk with God. And we're going to get into that in just a few moments. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be uh, walking through the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 5 together. As we talk about a few things, Uh, one of those things is God's promises. The other one is God's pardon. We'll break that down in a moment. As you're turning there, I want to take you to one more quote. It's from Martin Luther. Uh, Martin Luther, as he was preaching on this passage, Romans chapter 5, he had a few things to say that I think will give us some boundaries or context as we jump in. This is what he says. The righteous man has peace with God, but affliction in the world because he lives in the Spirit. So Martin Luther identifies right from the very beginning that there are two things at work. There is this world's kingdom and there is a heavenly kingdom. And they're they're in constant conflict. To be righteous or to be found with peace means that we're going to have tribulation in the world. If we have peace with God. If we choose to have peace with the world, then we're going to have conflict with God. He goes on to say, the righteous man has peace with the world, but affliction and tribulation with God because he lives in the flesh. The unrighteous man has peace with the world, but affliction and tribulation with God because he lives in the flesh. He goes on, but as the spirit is eternal, so also will be the peace of the righteous man and tribulation of the unrighteous. So again, he's identifying, (laughs) we sometimes think in terms of years or decades. And, and it, it may be a difficult time, those years or decades. There may be tribulation, there may be suffering, but there is eternity. And that is a, a year, a decade is a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. And as the flesh is temporal, so will be the tribulation of the righteous. It's for a season, it's for a time. And the peace of the unrighteous, the peace that the unrighteous get in the world kingdom that they live in is just a season, it's just a time. There will be an eternity of being in conflict with God or dealing with the wrath of God that we'll talk about in a moment. All right, with that light stuff, let's just jump right in to chapter 5. To give a little bit more context, though, in chapter 4, we've identified that Abraham is the father of our faith, meaning that we see faith lived out in Abraham, 
This happened prior to the nation of Israel, but Israel comes from the line of Abraham. Now, you might be saying, so what? Well, the author, uh, Paul, in chapter 4, says that, communicates that to let us know that whether we're Jew or Gentile, we have the same root in Abraham, and that Abraham is considered righteous, right with God, because of his actions. He trusted God. He was obedient to God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so with that in mind, we're going to just jump right in to chapter 5. In chapter 5, verse 1, uh, we, we want to first identify this promise of peace. Justification brings peace. Justification brings peace. And here we see it. Therefore, since we have been justified, that word justified means to be declared righteous. Imagine this. If you've received Jesus as your Savior, if you've surrendered to him, if there are no compartments in your world that Jesus is uh, at work in all areas of your life, if you've surrendered to follow this Jesus, if that is true, then you have been declared righteous. So imagine this in your mind's eye, you're in the presence of God, and before all of creation, God says, this person, you are righteous. That, that's the idea here. It comes by faith. I am trusting God. If you want another word that may help you to make faith a little bit more concrete, you, you can use the term faithful, meaning I trust God, I trust God, I trust God. I'm faithful. I am consistently faithful. It's a part of my life. Faith, I am trusting God. We have peace with God, remember that's whole person, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace. Let me pause there. Through Jesus, we've obtained access. And that access, we have grace. Now, many people in the first century, as Paul is writing this, are from a Jewish background. They're Messianic Jews, meaning this, that they've trusted Jesus as their Savior, but they grew up in a context where uh, Judaism was the practice. That happened primarily in the temple and in the synagogues. They saw it and it affected them in their day-to-day -day lives. And one of the things that they would note is how important it is to try to please God. And despite as much as we try to please God, we still need sacrifices. Of course, this I'm talking about in the first century. This was their mindset. They needed some sacrifices because they just couldn't do it right. They, they couldn't follow up. They couldn't be good enough. They, they couldn't do the right things uh, well, they, they, they botched it. They missed the mark. And so they understood that Paul is saying something that is revolutionary. Yeah, and actually, because of Jesus, you have grace. You're getting something you don't deserve. That's what grace is. You're getting something you don't deserve. God's riches at Christ's expense. You're getting something you don't deserve, grace. He goes on to say, in which we stand, right? So there is a firm foundation in this grace. We're, it's not like water. We're not sinking. We can stand firm. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. If you have your Bibles, underline from rejoice all the way to the end of that sentence. Rejoice is a great word. It means to boast. Not boast in yourself, uh, but we're boasting on God. And specifically this hope, this hope. The word glory is an interesting word, again, an abstract concept that we sometimes wrestle with, and its root, it means weight. So 
the weight of God. And you might think, well, that's, that's kind of a weird way of saying glory, the weight of God, like God's heavy. Well, that's, that is true, but that's not what it's referring to. In the ancient world, if you had gold, you would put it on a scale, right? And based on the weights of the scale, you would know how valuable that gold is. And so we're talking about the value of God, the rich value of God, his infinite value. And we have a hope because this, this God that is infinitely valuable has extended to us grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. And we have hope in that. It's an eternal hope, starts now, but it goes through eternity. Continuing on. In this section, we're going to start to talk about patience. And, and really, this patience is process. It's the process of this patience. Well, watch and see. Not only that, but we rejoice, underline, there's that word again, we boast in our sufferings. Pause there. What? You're going to boast in our sufferings? Uh, I don't know about you, but many of my prayers are centered on getting out of suffering. I, I, don't, I don't like it. You? I don't. I don't think it's great. I don't think it's fun. But here, he's saying, no, rejoice in it. Boast in this. There is something about this uniquely in Christianity. Christianity has an answer to suffering that no other worldview does. Uh, nobody else speaks to this. Suffering just kind of happens because this world is this cosmic accident. Oops. And you're suffering because someone else is a jerk or because you made a really poor decision. Uh, Suffering is just, it's an accident. There's no purpose in it. But Christianity says, well, actually, yeah, there is purpose. Suffering has the idea of pressure, of being pushed in on. And so whatever that might mean, it, it could be as a result of your faith. In other words, I, I trust the Lord and I'm being persecuted. That could be a type of suffering. It could also be health. It could also be uh, situations in our relationship. It could be conflict. This, this idea of suffering uh, really has a spectrum of meaning. And so here we have it, that there is pressure, and we're supposed to boast in that pressure because that pressure has purpose. And that purpose is going to be a part of this patience and this process that we're going to see in just a moment. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, like a runner. You start off, you run just a little bit, you can run a little bit more next time, a little bit more the next time, a little bit more the next time. There is something that is occurring to a runner that every time they go out, they are creating endurance and an ability uh, to, to last in this race. They can finish the race that they've started. Why? Because of endurance. They've, they've built up to that. And so it is with us that there is a race that we're in. And the suffering, this pressure that comes on the believer is an endurance that is building in our lives that God is using to allow us to, to finish this race in a strong way. And endurance produces character. This, this character, it means to be proved, right? Like, okay, we have tested and this character is good. This this has been tested and it is good. It's the idea of this character. Because of the suffering and because of this endurance, you've, you've made it, you've pushed on. Your character, who you are, is good. It's been identified. And character produces hope. 
Remember, we identified earlier that that, that hope and part is in the glory of God, the weight of God, the value of God. And hope does not put to us shame. Sometimes as we suffer, uh, we go through this idea that we did something bad. Sometimes that is the case, but often it's not. It's just we live in a fallen world, and sometimes bad things just happen. They just do. People are... People get sick. People are injured. People are hurt. And, and some, it's, it's horrible. But there is a process that God has allowed that if we embrace that, we don't have to be shamed in that place, but we, when we embrace it, there is endurance and there is perseverance and there is character and that character produces hope that there is something better. Right now we are in the Uh, We are in a foreign land. We are in this kingdom of the world, but ultimately the kingdom of heaven wins and for eternity we get to be with him and it's going to be okay. And you need to know that. And especially as you can see the end from this vantage point, you need to be reminded of that. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So again, this hope is given to us Uh, And the Holy Spirit, who is at work within us, uh, has given us his love. Let's look at the pardon. Uh, In in understanding this, we're going to see a plan unfold in front of us. And that's good. Because how does it all work out? Right? Like maybe you've thought of this. Maybe you've even said this. I've heard people say it. I've even felt it. Where it's like, God, I don't know why you did it that way. That's not the way that I would have written it up. He's like... Yeah, I'm still God and you're still not. Don't worry about it, Kenny. Uh, Sometimes you need to hear that message too, right? Okay, so the pardon starts with the plan. For while we were still weak, that word weak is related to another word, uh, the same word that's used in James chapter 5. To be healed or anointed with oil is for the weak, the sick. So when uh, when you are sick, when you are made weak, Then you go to the elders and ask them to anoint you with oil. That word is used in this place. So it's weak, it's sick, uh, it's without strength. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So Jesus was willing, before we ever were reconciled to him, before we ever knew him as our Savior, before we ever said, I love you, God, we were enemies against God, Jesus still went to the cross for us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows this agape love. It's non-transactional. In other words, his love for us does not depend on us giving love to him. He loves us because he is love. Uh, That's who he is. He can't not love. There are other things that are true about God. He is just. He is holy. He is righteous. All of those things are packaged in who God is. They're they're not divided in God. They they exist together. But God is love. And his love uh, for us is shown while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So let's look at the position and power of that plan. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by the blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Pause there. 
from the wrath of God. If you have your pen and Bible, I want to encourage you to underline that wrath of God piece. That's an important piece that we often overlook. Some people will say things like this. Uh, what, were you, what were you saved from? They're like, ah, sin and death? Yeah, that's true. The devil? Yeah, that's true. But it's bigger than that. We're saved from the wrath of God. The wrath of God ultimately was poured down on Christ. He took it for us. God's wrath, all of the punishment is on Christ. It's also poured out on all who remain enemies with God, separated from him for eternity. That's what the quote from Martin Luther uh, was about earlier. For eternity, they'll be separated. There, there is no peace in that place. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to uh, uh, make, make this dramatic statement, but I do want us to understand that the wrath of God is what we're really being saved from, and it is for eternity. And something to celebrate, we'll see in just a few moments. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Again, reconciled means to be put in favor. We once were enemies with God, but now he favors us. We're part of his kingdom under his reign. More than that, we also rejoice, boast, in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have received this favor. The favor didn't come because you're super smart and great. It didn't come because I'm super smart and great. Uh, it wasn't something that we earned individually or collectively or something that we inherited from our parents or, or, or from our culture. It didn't happen that way. It came through Christ, period. That's it. That's it. That's all we have, Christ. And we see that reconciliation, that favor granted to those who receive him as their Savior. So back to C.S. Lewis. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. We saw that uh, played out in the scripture before us. But the question starts to uh, really take shape now. Is that true in my life? Is that true in your life? Is that true in our lives collectively? That we separate God and we set him apart. Like, okay, on Sundays, yep, we'll deal with God on Sundays. Sometimes at night, maybe I might even read some scriptures or something. But basically, that's it. That's a different part of my life. Just like there is a work life, there is a family life. These are all, they're, they're separated. They're compartmentalized. And if we do that, there is no happiness. There is no peace. So let's look at, at verses 9 and 10 because I, this is important because it's now and future. The first part, justified. We're declared free of guilt and righteous in God's sight once and for all. Once and for all, right now. If we receive Christ as our Savior, we, we, are, uh, we are credited as righteous. We are declared righteous. Right now, that is true. Also, we're reconciled. We, we have favor put an end to the hostilities between warring parties, allowing for ongoing relationship. In other words, it's not just that we've been declared righteous, but for eternity we have this relationship with God that is lived out and experienced 
We're justified by his blood, his work. We're reconciled through the death of his son. We're saved from wrath. That's an important piece. Oftentimes, again, we ask people, what were you saved from? What did that mean? Well, I I used to sin. I had this victory. and, And that's true and that's good. But ultimately, it's God's wrath that we're saved from. And we're saved through his life, Jesus' life. It's his work, not ours. So what's our response to this? What is our response to this? We're living in a day where we stand on a hill, and from our vantage point, we can see the end a little more clearly than perhaps we've been able to in the past. I'm speaking to a group of people who I believe have a hunger and a desire to know God better and to walk with him more closely. So what does all this mean? Where do we go from here? The worship team is going to come out, and as they come out, uh, I want us to consider communion. It's all interconnected. That Jesus' body was broken for us, that we could have life, that his blood was shed, that our sins aren't just covered, but taken away. And communion is a part of the practice of God's people. We have four stations in this room, and in just a moment, I'll give you some directions about how to get there. But first, it starts with, have you received Jesus as your Savior? We have what's called open communion at Friendship, meaning that if you've received Jesus as your Savior, that's enough. You don't have to be a member of our church. You don't have to be a regular attender of our, of our fellowship to participate in communion. But you do have to receive Jesus as your Savior, if he's your Savior. If you're confident in that, if it's not a divided lifestyle. But if Christ is your Savior, then you're free to participate in communion after one more thing. And that's to examine our hearts. So we examine our hearts and it might look like this. Lord, I I might have a blind spot. Is there any unconfessed sin that I need to address? And that looks like this. It's called repentance. And repentance lives out this way. I'm going in one direction and I'm convinced that this is the wrong direction and that Christ is the right direction. And so I change uh, the way that I'm walking, I repent, and I walk towards God. Uh, That's what repentance looks like. It comes in the form of confession and a lifestyle uh, that, that reveals the truth of that repentance. With that in mind, I want to give you a few moments to just ask the Lord, Lord, am I following you? And Lord, is there any unconfessed sin? There are four stations in this room. We encourage you when it's time, when you're prepared, when you're ready to come down the carpeted area and then go to the station that's nearest to you to return in the outer aisle back to your seat. And once you get to your seat, to wait until all of us uh, have received that, that will today and then we'll participate together. With that in mind, let's continue to worship today.